The Lord put on my heart uh, to speak today on a subject you don't hear too much preached about in church. Uh, and effectively, it is the message about the older prodigal brother. We've all grown up and heard many times the, the message of the, the younger brother who wasted the inheritance, who went out and lived a dissolute life. And we've all talked about that. But God has laid on my heart that today uh, my focus needs to be on the older brother. So if you look at the screen, we are going to focus on Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Jesus is redefining religion. Jesus is redefining what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus is changing the rules of what people understood uh, during that time. And this message is so profound and so powerful to me today that I hope I can communicate it in the way that God wants you to understand it. Uh, because here you see God, and that's why Jesus gave this parable. You see God being presented in the most loving way. First, there's the recalcitrant son who goes out and riotously uh, loses all the money that he had gotten from his father. But he comes to his senses. He repents. He begs for forgiveness. He comes back, and God accepts him because that's who the Father is. That's the name of this message. It is about God, about the loving nature of God, and God brings him back and restores him to that house. But here you see the older son, and I think the older son more typically represents what we face in our own lives, what we see in churches today, what we see surrounding us. And these are people 
These are people who believe that they are righteous. They believe that they are right with God. They believe that they don't need a Savior because they have lived up to the law. And Jesus was speaking of this parable specifically to teach the Pharisees that you live and try to live to the law, but you don't understand that you could never live under the law, that you could never be morally right, that you have failed. And if you think you're living to the law, you have miserably failed in the eyes of God. And this is, this is the message that Jesus wants us to learn today. And so if you look up on the board, the first slide that we have there, and that is the message for us is that God's heart of forgiveness can pardon and restore every kind of sin and wrong, including the heart of the older brother. All right, let's understand that it's not just the man who's had a riotous living, who has lived out with the prostitutes, has wasted everything and comes back. God restores that person, but God can just as easily restore the heart of the older brother, the one who is living under the law, the one who thinks he doesn't need a savior, the one who thinks he's already saved. And this is what God is trying to teach us today, uh, that the, the love and acceptance of the Father are absolutely uh, free in every possible way. And so here's the thing. When the older brother hears the celebration, he sees what's going on. Instead of graciously accepting that the fact that his brother who was lost has now come back, he's resentful. He's angry. Uh, and now it's his turn to disgrace the father. Uh, he remains outside of the celebration, publicly casting a vote of no confidence to the brother and to his father, and he continues despite the fact that the father says, come in, be a part of this. I love you. I care for you. And by bringing the son, the younger son back, the father has again made an heir, made an heir of the younger son. But this is considered to be unconscionable to the older brother because the older brother says he wants justice. He wants justice. Well, let me tell you something, folks. In the kingdom of God, don't ever ask for justice. All right? Don't ever ask for justice. All right? When you get to heaven, remember this. Don't say to Jesus, Jesus, the first thing I'm looking for is some justice. Because a trap door will open up, and the next thing you'll be is in a hot place. You don't want justice. You want mercy. You understand? You want mercy and love and kindness. So don't go looking for justice. Uh, and so we'll put up the next slide that we have here because uh, this is a slide that talks again uh, about, about the thoughts of the older brother. And so the thoughts of the other, older brother are that I have worked myself to death and earned everything that I got, but my brother has earned nothing. Instead of a celebration, he deserves to be expelled from the house. Where is the justice in my father's house? Have you ever thought like that? Have you ever looked at people who, who look like they're outside of God's will and they're being blessed? And have you ever been resentful of that? All right. And have you ever said, you know, I've worked pretty hard. I've worked hard in my life. All right. I deserve everything that I got. I'm a hardworking guy. All right. Instead of saying, Lord, whatever you've given me, it's yours. You've given me health. You've given me intellect. You've given me opportunity. You know, and, and, and instead, what do we say? Look at what I have done. 
And here he is, the, the older brother, saying that uh, to the father, that this is what I have deserved. I have worked slavishly for you. You don't see any expression of love and worship. Instead, you see this self-righteous pap. All right? And I have to say this to you, that this message resonates with me very much today because what I see in many places, in many churches, are people that have elevated themselves based on religiosity. You understand religiosity? Here's what religiosity means. It means I have a certain status in the church. I may be a deacon in the church. I may be a church leader in the church. And then the question I have is this, is there love in the church? Do I see the fruit of the Spirit in the church? Or do I see instead angry, self-righteous attitudes? And that's what Jesus was trying to teach to the Pharisees. They didn't get it. They lived by the law, but they had no fruit in their life. They had no love in their life. They were rigidly thinking that the law would save them, and the law would never save them, ever, ever, ever. So the older brother is concerned about his rights, that God has not recognized his rights, uh, that he's never disobeyed his father. Well, let me stop you right there. You have never disobeyed your father. How absurd that you have not re really gone back and looked at the Ten Commandments, how the Ten Commandments tells you to live, and then looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and look at how Jesus taught us that it wasn't merely the physical application of the law, it was the mental application of the law, that you could be just as guilty of committing adultery physically as you were if you lusted, or coveted, or committed all these sins of hatred in every possible way, and you have violated the law. So don't sit there and say, God, I have never, ever violated the law. Instead, put your face in the dust and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. I have broken your heart. I have broken the law. Uh, and so instead, you see this self-righteous position of the older brother. Uh, and, and in fact, even in the way that he refers to his father, he refers to his father really as if he's speaking to some man on the street. Uh, and instead, the father does not respond to this insulting tone. The father embraces him and loves him and says, come into this celebration. I love you. I will give you everything that you know you should have. You are my son. That's how God is reaching out to us even when we are self-righteous. He's asking us to consider that position. He's asking us to look carefully at our lives. And so look at the next slide here. Jesus does not even finish the story because it, it ends abruptly. It ends abruptly at verse 31. And the reason for this is that the real audience for the story are the Pharisees, effectively the older brother. Jesus is trying to redefine the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying it is just as much a sin to be out with the prostitutes, to out wasteful living, to be a wastrel, as it is to be a self-righteous person who thinks they don't need a savior. There's no difference. There's no difference. And so that's the essence of this story and why it's so profound and so convicting to me. And you all know so many people that live this way who think that because they attend church, they're saved, who think because they're part of a denomination, they're saved, who think because they have a position in a church of some authority, they are saved. Well, let me clue you in right now. When you get to heaven, 
Don't think that that's going to be the essence of salvation. Because Jesus doesn't care about your denomination. Jesus doesn't care about the position that you hold in church. All Jesus is going to care about is did you give your heart to him? That's it. Nothing else will matter. Did you accept him? Did you bow in submission? Did you make him the master of your life? Did you recognize you were a sinner? Did you turn everything over to him in every possible way and bow before the throne of God? And so you understand it. And so here you see the Pharisees believed that they were entitled to be blessed by God because they were the chosen people and strictly adhered to the law. There it is. We deserve it. We're the chosen people. We strictly adhere to the law. We elevate the law. We abide by the law. Not recognize you don't abide by the law. You violate the law every possible moment because you're self-righteous, because you haven't considered the fact that there are mental aspects to the law and that your coveting and self-righteousness in every way undercuts the, the relationship that God has for us in every possible way. And so in this parable, Jesus deliberately leaves out uh, the older brother in his alienated state. You read this parable, Jesus doesn't tie it up. Why doesn't Jesus tie it up? Because he wanted the Pharisees to see it and to question it and to recognize it. How ironic is it that the younger brother who went out with prostitutes and wasted all his money in riotous living, is back in the kingdom of God, and the older brother who remained at home with God, so to speak, in the house of the Father, is outside of the kingdom. What does it mean? It means we have to re-examine the relationships that we have. That's what God is saying to you right now. God is saying to you, are you really, have you really committed your life to me? Do you recognize what it is to have sin in your life? Do you recognize that you need a savior? Do you recognize that mere church attendance or the fact that you came from a religious family or that your family's been in church for 100 years, all right, or you've been an important part of a denomination, do you recognize that none of that matters one whit to God? None of it. Because if it mattered to God, then the Pharisees would have been elevated. Nobody, nobody tried to spend more time living up to the law than the Pharisees. And so here's the point. The teaching is clear. The teaching is clear that neither son loved the father for who the father was. The younger son didn't love him when he left. He didn't respect him for when he, for when he was there in the house. But when he came back, he understood it. But the older son didn't either. He didn't respect the father or love the father or embrace or worship the father. He, he blindly followed the law thinking that because he followed the law, he was entitled to all of the blessings. That was the entitlement. That was the justice that he was looking for. Let me tell you something. Until you recognize the failed state of humanity, the failed state of humanity, that none of us, none of us are right, that only because of the blood of Jesus Christ can we be saved. There's no other way. You need to understand this. I can't make this clearly strong enough. That is the nature of what this is about. All right? And so we need to understand this. And so as you look up on the screen, you see, you see here that this means that you can rebel against God. 
and be alienated from him by either breaking the rules or, and in this case, attempting to keep them all. Even if you think attempting to keep all of the rules is going to bring you into the presence of God, you failed. You cannot keep the rules. The rules don't save you. The only thing that the rules do is expose you to the fact that you are a sinner. That's why the rules were given. That's why the commandments were given, so that you would recognize, Lord, I've failed. I can't do this. I can't live this. And so the key to understanding the mindset of the older brother in terms of what Jesus would teach us is this. Many of us think that we ought to be blessed because we are good people, moral people, who have worked hard to be so respected in our community. For self-righteous people like this, Jesus may be a moral leader to you, but he is not your savior. And the fact is that you know a lot of people like this in the world. People who will tell you, well, I lead a good life. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a good provider. I'm well respected. Do you believe, do you, have you accepted Jesus Christ? No, I don't believe in that. I don't think I need that. And everything that went before that statement means failure. You understand? You could leave this church today, go to the airport, fly to India, give all your money away, go into the leper colony there, find Mother Teresa's home, spend the rest of your life there in a leper colony, and if you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, you will not be going to see God. You will not be in heaven. That's what Jesus has said. That's the essence of this. We don't become godly people being in the presence of God because we've observed the rules and regulations of the road. Let's understand this. It's a serious subject, all right? A serious subject. And so that's the key to understanding the mindset of the older brother. Many of us think that we ought to be blessed because we're good people, moral people, who have worked hard to be respected in our community. For self-righteous people like this, uh, effectively, Jesus may be a moral leader, but he is not your savior. And so here's the bottom line today. You have to make Jesus your savior. That's the essence of this lesson. That's the essence of what the older brother didn't understand. And you know, there's a great uh, metaphorical piece that outlines this position. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to see... Uh, the movie or the Broadway play Amadeus. But I recommend it to you because it's a great position and it, and it shows you a man who thought he was righteous. All right? So, thought he was righteous and thought, entitled to be blessed. The man's name was Salieri. He was the head of the court in musician in Austria during the time right before Mozart came on the scene. And so Salieri wanted to be elevated as a great musician. And he was a self-righteous man. He wasn't really a humble man bowing before the cross of Christ. But in fact, he was self-righteous and, and, and understood in his own mind that if I live up to the law, I will be blessed. And so he makes this prayer in the movie and in the play. Lord, make me a great composer let me celebrate your glory through music and be celebrated myself. Make me famous throughout the world, dear God. Make me immortal in return. 
I vow, I will give you my chastity, my industry, my deepest humility, every hour of my life, and I will help my fellow man all I can. Amen. What a piece of self-righteous piety. All right? But here's what happened. For a while, he was blessed. For a while, he was celebrated. All right? People looked at him. They looked at his talent. But all of a sudden, a guy came on the scene whose name was Mozart. And everything changed. And you see, here's the thing. At the age of four years old, Mozart is giving concerts. And he's vulgar. And he's profane. And he's everything that you would repudiate in a human being. But somehow, for the wisdom of God, he has given the greatest amount of musical talent on this profane young person. You've seen this. You understand this. This happens even in the world today where you will see people that were blessed and, and, and you don't understand it in some way. And so Salieri now, Salieri is angry with God. What did you do to me, God? How could you do this after I made my vow? You see how the self-righteous look at, at what God does and think that there's a sense of justice that they're entitled to. And so finally, Salieri openly rebukes God. Here's this man who supposedly loved God so much that he makes this vow. And so now this supposedly religious, moral man now shows another side to his character. Salieri shakes his fist at God and says, from now on, you and I are enemies. You and I, enemies. How could this happen? How could this so-called pious religious guy fall like this? It's because when you don't give your heart to Christ, when you think it's the rules and regulations and the entitlement of that means justice in your life, you are doomed to fail. You are doomed to fail. And so Jesus is trying to teach us this in, in, in such a way. And so uh, Jesus is teaching us that the older brothers obey God in order to get things. They do not obey God to get God himself in order to love him, know him, and respect him. And so religious and moral people can be avoiding Jesus as Savior and Lord as much as the younger brothers who say they don't believe in God. Let me tell you flat out how it is. God doesn't care for religiosity. You understand? God doesn't care for religiosity. That's why when we founded this church, we said that this church would be a New Testament church. It would be a church predicated on what you saw in the New Testament. The fact that love would abide this church. It wouldn't be a church of legalism. It wouldn't be a church bound up in that, in the observation of the law as if the law would save you. And that in every possible way, this would be a church that would bow in humility before the throne of God. And so Jesus shows us that a man who has, who has violated virtually nothing of the list of moral behavior in this world can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most immoral person. Why? Because sin is not just breaking the rules. You understand? Sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Lord and Savior. It is displacing the authority of the Savior. You can't save yourself. 
And if you think you can save yourself, well, then you're doomed to failure. That's the nature of this message. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And so clearly, the Lord cares for the humble. You see a citation on there to Psalm 138. And so though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. And so even though the older son ostensibly remained in the house of the father, he was just as alienated from the father as the younger son. Uh, and, and so no one had ever taught anything like this before in the scripture. Nothing. No person had ever taught this. The Pharisees must have been dumbstruck, dumbstruck that Jesus would, would teach this. And yet it was so profound that nobody could say a thing. And so this was a critical message that the Pharisees needed to understand, that the older brothers desperately needed to come to Christ, that they desperately needed to reevaluate their position, that they desperately needed to have humility and bow before the throne of God and not elevate the law as if the law was the nature of saving them. And so this becomes a key and that the underscores the nature of this dangerous situation, that older brothers don't go to God for healing because they don't need to be healed. They think they're healed already. You see, they see there's nothing wrong with their position in life. I am good. I am righteous. I live up to the law. Instead, you have failed miserably. You could never live up to the law. But for the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you could never live up to the law. And so you desperately need a doctor. And that's what Jesus was telling them, that they needed to see a doctor, that they needed Christ. And this is a condition that's found today in in many churches, and Jesus is demonstrating precisely what is wrong with religion. You know, people say to me, uh, are you, do you consider yourself a religious man? And my, my response is, no, I consider myself a spiritual man. All right? I'm a Christian. I'm an evangelical Christian. I'm not part of a denomination. I'm part of the kingdom of God. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what I stand for. That's what you stand for. That's what the cross of Christ is about. Not about a denomination. Not about a church. I'm so glad that we're here together in this church. But this church isn't going to save you. We don't preach the church. We preach Jesus Christ. And we use the church. Do you understand the difference? We preach Jesus and we use the church. So many other places preach the church and use Jesus. No, no. In this church, as long as I have breath, we're going to preach Jesus, and we're going to preach him every, every Sunday, all right, and every other time that we get a chance to speak, because without Jesus, we are lost. We are nothing. We have nothing without Christ. We can never live up to the law. We are failed by the law. It doesn't do anything for us, and that's what Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. Religiosity will not carry the day will not carry the day. And so these becomes an important, important point. And so the key difference between a Pharisee, between a Pharisee and a believer in Jesus is inner heart motivation. That's the difference. That's the difference. The Pharisees believed they were saved by the law, but their heart hadn't bowed to God. But we know we have failed. We are sinners, but for the grace of Christ himself and his blood, he saved us. 
And that's what this is all about. And so we trust him and love him because we understand this in every way. And, and so it becomes very important. Uh, and so uh, these become significant issues for us to understand. Listen, we have to understand that we serve a loving God. We serve a loving God. Look at the board. You see a citation there to Luke 18, 19. And this was a case where the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said to Jesus, Lord, I'd like to follow you. And, and he said, I have, I have followed all the commandments my whole life. Good master, he called them. Good master. And what does Jesus say? Good master. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus Christ said that. God himself, do you want to understand what goodness is? What real goodness is? No one is good. No one is good. Don't ever think of yourself as good. Think of yourself as a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ in such an important way. And so we understand this. And so uh, Paul speaks about these issues to us as well. And it becomes important because it drills down even further to our lives. What's important? If you look at Romans 3, verse 20 to 22, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law makes you conscious of your sin. You can't live by the law. You understand? You can't live by the law. And the law is supposed to convict you and indict you and bring you to the cross of Christ. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. You want the righteousness of God? There it is, on the cross, in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness of God. And when you take that and you put that on you and accept yourself and put yourself in the body of Christ, God no longer sees you Instead, he sees Jesus. He sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. And you are righteous. And you are holy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for us. That's what we have. This is what the older brother never got through his head. This is what God is teaching us. Look also at Romans 3. Look at Romans 3, verses 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what? Law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Look, no amount of works is going to get you to heaven. All right? Get that out of your head. You're not working your way to heaven. Okay? But instead, you're working your way to fulfill the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Why do you think we have ministries here? Why do you think there's any number of ways to serve God? It's because we want to give you the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what we want here. We want to show you that this is what God has given us. This is what his blessing is about, to serve him, to work for him, to reach out to the lost, to affirm and show people love that they would never, ever, ever understand this. Look also, if you see there, Luke 9, verses, Luke 9, uh, 18 rather, verses 9 to 14. And this is an amazing passage uh, because here you see Jesus talk about this. This is where the Pharisee sits inside the temple. 
and condescendingly looks out, looks out as the, as the world passes by the temple. And he sees a tax collector. And so in this verse, you see this, Jesus says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and don't ever be confident of your own righteousness. And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the kind of person you want to be. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, be with me, protect me, cover me with your blood. Lord, let me be the kind of man and woman that you want me to be, Lord. I bow before your throne. I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. How about that? It was the humble, lowly tax collector who was justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a message of the economy of God. You want to see what the kingdom of God is? It's about being lowly. Live with your face in the dust and saying, Father, I'm not righteous. I can't live with the law of Father, but only through your grace and the blood of Jesus Christ do you save me. And that's the kind of words that God wants to hear. And that's the kind of language that we need to adopt. And this is the lesson for us today, that we are all sinners, every single one of us, starting with the guy who's doing the speaking. Don't ever think that the fact that I do these messages separates me from you. Are you kidding me? My father always used to say that when he was preaching, he had one finger pointing out and three pointing back, three pointing back. And I can tell you personally that every message that I give you, I preach it first to myself. And it indicts me and convicts me. And that's what God wants. Because you can't come up here and be a man of God and be someone that can be a shepherd unless you're convicted and humbled and aware God wants you to be. And so we're all sinners. And without the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we would be lost forever. No amount of religiosity is going to save you. No amount of obsession with the law is going to save you. It is not your religion or your denomination that is going to save you. It is Christ Jesus on the cross, his blood covering you that is going to save you in every way. Amen, church? Amen. Let's stand and close this message. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today, Father. I thank for you for the parable of the older son, Father. These are words that the world had not heard before. The fact that someone who apparently lived up to the law could still be so outside of your will and your grace, Lord. And you've spoken clearly about religiosity and about false piety and self-righteousness. Indict us, Lord, for this. 
convict us. Let every single person leaving here today have that message in their heart. And let us deliver this message to a world that needs to hear it. Let us be inspired to speak to others about it. Lord, I pray that you'll protect our people in every way. Bless them and bring them back safely next Sunday to continue the study of your word. We'll put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you, church. God bless you.